it isn't always the biggest or baddest or fastest mousetrap that gets the mice. It's the one with the stinkiest cheese. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, which means this is our hashtag one big idea episode. In these episodes, you'll hear some of the best big ideas from incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. We are one of the top 50 business podcasts, believe it or not. It's been just uh, less than six months, so it's really fun to, to know that. And we thank everybody who's listening and sharing. And today, just like every every week, we try to bring somebody who is groundbreaking and bringing something really, really interesting topic. And I was in Charleston a couple of months ago where I heard Sun Yu, who is the author of Iconic Advantage, talk about some really interesting things, really that spoke to me. And I believe it will speak to almost everyone who is in marketing, sales, or leadership position who's trying to figure out, how do I get an edge? How do I be better, stronger, and why can't some companies do amazing things and are amazing, iconic brands, and they have this crazy advantage when it comes to pricing and valuation and exits, well, as you might have a better product, but you still don't have the same advantage. So I think this conversation is going to be fantastic. So soon, welcome to the show. Uh, Sangram, thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited, and uh, congratulations on being Top 50 Podcast. That's actually a major milestone given there's probably, I don't know, 5 million of these <laughs> out there now. And, you know, to be in the top 50 and to have that type of audience, fantastic. So excited to speak with you and the audience. Thank you so much, man. I think we uh, we, we have been pretty blessed and, and we started the podcast January 1st uh, and it's been daily since then. And uh, it's, it's been phenomenal. So uh, we, we cannot be thankful for, for the community. But, but as I shared with you, we... So, Soon and I, like, you know, I saw him do the keynote and then I go to the, to the airport and I see Soon Yu in a completely different tracksuit or something like that. And I'm like, is he the same guy? And then I literally had to pull up Twitter and like, you know, make sure I, I know you're the same guy. And so we ended up chatting for a few minutes and then we're like, well, let's do a podcast together. So, uh, and then I did go and buy the book and I made a ton of notes. So I'm going to really ask you, some really interesting, I hope, interesting questions on, on the idea of iconic advantage. So I hope you're ready. Uh, very ready and excited and hope everyone can learn something from it. All right, man. So I, I think where I would love for you to share, uh, maybe maybe from a story perspective, because I think this is one quote that I kept reading and underlying and getting back to it. And this was really from Nike CEO, Phil Knight, as most people know. He said, Nike is a marketing-oriented company, and the product is our most important tool. And, you know, I really underlined that a few times and thought, wait a minute, Nike, the mo- one of the most iconic brands out there, and they're saying that they're a marketing-oriented company, and the product, the, the, the thing they sell that they're known for is really a, their most important tool. And, and that quote really resonated with me. I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think uh, it's amazing that you actually pulled that one quote out. Um, it's a nuanced quote, and it, it's obviously an important one. And I, I think if I was to reflect upon this, the reason people 
buy Nike products, obviously there's a functionality, you know, you, you need something to walk on, you need something to run in. But the reason you would actually pay more than, let's say, something you could buy a store brand uh, for Target or, 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 or some other, you know, lower price brand is mainly for the stories behind that product and how those stories connect to you and your life how those stories about the product and the brand resonate with you and create meaning. And, and that's what marketing is all about. Marketing is all about the idea of attaching powerful meaning to whatever it is, a product, a service, and then being able to have people connect with that in a way where they obviously want to participate in the brand. And, and so the product for them is their vessel to tell great stories stories that we love, stories that we connect with, stories that we actually want to have some degree of engagement and ownership of. I love that, man. I I think that is the ultimate place to be where I feel a lot of companies really struggle with this idea of how do we, how do we become the leader? And they are everybody like just being in the MarTech space. Now I know you, you obviously understand the B2C space really well, and I'm on the B2B space. A lot of the listeners are in the B2B space on this podcast. And when we all talk about it, it almost feels like B2B is boring uh, because it's the, the emotional connection that all these B2C brands like Apple's of the world. And, um, you know, you, you talk about Nike as a case story, you talk about Jack Daniels, you talk about a whole bunch of uh, stories of few other brands out there. It, it just feels very emotionally driven. Do you see B2B companies doing that? Or anything that comes to mind that says, you know what, here's what B2B companies should learn for, or even better, if there is a company in B2B that you think is actually doing it better? So the simple question, does the B2C idea of marketing and creating meaning and you know, building brand, does do those translate to B2B? And the answer is absolutely yes. Now, obviously, there's some differences. And you know, I was speaking at uh, Channel Partners, which had maybe... 5,000 attendees, but they're all value-added resellers, you know, resellers of all different types of uh, software systems and application programs, you know, SaaS, SAP, whatever. So, and it's very interesting sort of speaking to that audience about this concept. This concept absolutely applies. Now, your universe may not be, I don't know, a few billion people (laughs) on the globe. That might not be your universe. It doesn't really matter. Your universe could be 20 customers, basically 20 people that you call on all the time. And the question for you is, you know, why are they calling on, I mean, why have they decided to engage with you versus somebody else? And if you only sell it based on I'm the lowest cost producer or I have the best service and therefore, you know, I get it to you faster or some of those other metrics. I think that's going to be something where, you know, you you probably have more room to play with in terms of creating meaning with them. And a lot of it has to do with reputational value. And so this idea of creating distinction, even with your 20 customers, is critical. And then and making sure whatever that distinction is, is highly relevant, is 100 percent applicable. And those are the two qualities that are really central at creating this idea of meaning and building greater iconicity. And so I always say, look, let's say you had 20 customers, pick three of them. Mm-hmm. And if I was to pull just three of your customers and ask them, what is your signature? One, would they even have an answer? 
Two, would the answer be consistent among the three of them? And, and three, this is really important. Would their answer be a platitude that any of your competitors could basically own like you just, just as well as you? Or would it be something that made you really stand out in a meaningful way? And if your answers, the one, two, and three aren't, yes, they could, they'd have an answer. And yes, it'd be consistent among the three of them. And yes, it wouldn't be applied to it. It would definitely be something that made me rise above my competitors. Then you actually have something that people know you for and they care about. And guess what? Because you are distinctive, you may not appeal to everybody in your space, but for those 20 people, they know why they signed up with you. And if somebody needs something in a similar sort of niche or a similar sort of uh, where, where you have your key point of difference, uh, your name will come up first. Absolutely, man. I, I feel like the, the, the value, this is, this is an example. I think I've shared this before with somebody. Uh, is, is somebody I, should, I read this article around the fact that, hey, look, and this was, this was around Mother's Day where the article was like, hey, look, if you go to Tiffany's today and buy a ring for, let's say, your wife, and let's say it costs $6,000. Go try selling that ring to any other jewelry store around the corner, and you will be lucky to get about $1,000 or $1,500 on it. And the whole point was you're actually paying $4,000 premium for the brand value of you know, getting a ring from Tiffany's. And it really made me think about, well, you know, people can have better products. People can have better services. But the reality is, to your point, if it's not unique enough where they would like there's that emotional connection with you, then then you're really competing on price and product and features as opposed to value and emotional, which can be a ton of high premium. And I think it's true in B2C and it's definitely true in B2B when I look at big companies like Salesforce and HubSpot when they can charge premium for their customers. Exactly. I mean, just take a simple, you know, the business I'm in, consulting. You know, there are brands out there like the McKinsey's, the Booz, the Baines of the world, the BCG's. They can charge an arm and a leg. I I can pretty much do what they do for, you know, literally one hundredth the cost. (laughs) But that's not why you're buying the services. It's for the value of it. You're buying it for the reputation. You're buying it for something that you can actually pitch to other people in the organization to get people, you know, motivated because you have greater credibility because of who you hired. So, I mean, you're buying reputation. You're absolutely buying reputation. And the same thing is true, you know, if, if you're you're reselling. I don't know, computers. It's the same thing. So yeah, absolutely. I love that. So here's another thing, which is on the cover of your book. And again, people should go buy this uh, this book, Iconic Advantage. It's actually a pretty easy and quick read, quite honestly. like I'm not someone who reads typically a book from cover to cover, even though I've written a book. And, and I'm uh, like, I'm just be honest. Like I feel like if I can get one or two golden nuggets from wherever I get it in that book, I feel pretty good for you know, whatever 10, 15 bucks investment. I feel like if I can get one thing, one thing from the book, I'm happy. But in this book, there was several things. And the, another thing outside of the quote that is really now written in my notebook now in one of the first pages, because I want to remember that we have to think about if Nike can be a marketing oriented organization, if that's how they think and their product is just a tool, then what else is there in this book that's, that's going to make me change and think? And I think it's this part where you said, don't chase the new, innovate the old. And 
I feel when most people who know Flip My Funnel and the podcast and stuff, it's all about innovating the funnel. You know, the Flip Funnel, the, the original funnel was kind of, you know, broad at the top, narrow at the bottom. And then we flipped it and we called it Flip My Funnel. So I feel like in many ways, that's exactly what we're doing. We're literally innovating the old and not chasing the new. But a lot of times I feel like in a day-to-day practice, we are exactly the opposite. We are, we're chasing the new. So could you enlighten us on that quote? Sure. So just the origin of sort of getting to that quote was just my own sort of professional experiences. And I spent the last 20 or 30 years failing more than I succeeded. <laughs> and through those failures, and quite a few of them, it sort of ignited a certain amount of curiosity as to why are other businesses, why are other people, why are other brands more successful at commercializing new ideas, commercializing innovation, commercializing marketing concepts than I was. And with that burning curiosity, I researched 50 companies. And as I looked at these successful companies, I had an aha moment. And that was this. These companies were very, very innovative. But the way it wasn't how they did innovation is where they applied their innovation. They mm-hmm. took all their shiny new ideas and applied it against their old franchises. Franchises that had great success. Uh, franchises where people loved them and, and already gave them incredible, incredible kudos because you know they, they've been with they, they participated with those franchises, and whether it be service franchises or product franchises for most of their lives. So they were innovating against where they had strength, where they already had momentum, and it made every hour, every dollar spent on innovation that much more highly leveraged, much more productive, that much more effective, and actually a lot quicker in terms of actually seeing a return. Because if you're innovating something that people love you for, that people know you for, that you have channels that accept you for, you know, you have consumers that have bought into it, where internally in terms of your organization, you already have the capabilities and tools. It's so much faster to get one, consumer and channel acceptance. And then number two, it's so much easier to produce stuff because you already have a long history of producing things that are fairly similar. So that was a big aha for me. I remember, man, your opener was killer. And I took a lot of notes on that one. You spend the first five minutes as a keynote telling how big of a failure you are. And that one to me was like amazing because everybody was like, that's not expected. You know, you expect somebody as coming in as a keynote would say, hey, look, all the amazing things I've done. You literally took the first entire five minutes telling them, hey, look, I failed at this. I failed at this. I failed at this. And by the way, if you think I wasn't a big failure yet, look at what else I felt at. And I felt, I really felt that you emotionally connected with everybody because at one point or another, every one of us are, have failed or are failing in something. And we feel like, man, you know, what are we doing? But then you kind of showed the path to like, well, here's why I failed and here's why others didn't fail. And here's where all these concepts are. So I thought that was a very genius move. I'm just from a presentation <laughs> skill perspective. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of you sort of bear your soul. And, you know, at that point, the audience is very sympathetic and empathetic. And that's a great place to start. You're absolutely right. It was, it was amazing. All right. So uh, I, I want to, to the, the last part, what I want for you to kind of dig in a little bit is 
at the end of the day, you, you essentially put a framework together around this. And I think, you know, people probably should go deeper when they read the book into this. But in a short way, could you share the framework of the noticing power, the staying power and the scaling power? Because that to me just meant so much. Uh, when we say, okay, I love, I I, everybody knows Nike is iconic. Everybody knows Apple is iconic. And everybody can say that there's, here are a few things they're doing better. But I think you kind of put a framework around it, which is very interesting. And and to me, something we are thinking about as, you know, as a co-founder of Terminus, I'm thinking about like, okay, we are, which stage are we in and are we doing certain things? So could you unpack these three power elements? Sure, sure. I'll try to do it in a way where, you know, don't, you don't even need to buy the book. Although, you know, if you do, great. <laughs> so, um, look, when I did the research, not only were these folks innovating the old, it was very deliberate. There was a strategy behind it. And they actually, you know, were thinking about building three qualities. Because when we looked across these 50 companies and their iconic services and iconic products and their iconic brands, there are three dimensions or three qualities that most of these iconic franchises all shared. Uh, the first was distinction. They stood out from their competition. They were uh, brands or services or products that uh, demanded to be noticed. Uh, they were unique. They were differentiated. They were very memorable. So that was sort of the first quality. The second is whatever that distinction was, it was highly, highly relevant to the audience that they wanted to be iconic to. Now, the key here is they weren't just you know, relevant in the past or relevant today, but they were also going to be relevant in the future. So it was this idea of creating timeless relevance. So that was sort of the second uh, quality we saw. And the third, very simply, uh, was that they were universally recognized for that distinctive relevance. And when I say universally, I don't mean, again, the billion people or a few billion people around the world. I meant with maybe even their 20 customers. If that's all their universe was, they were known for that distinctive relevance with those 20 customers. So recognition among your main audience was sort of the third main dimensions. So knowing that it's distinction, timeless relevance, and recognition are the key dimensions, how do you supercharge them? And that's where these powers come in. So the first one is really around the idea of Let's supercharge the idea of distinction and create greater noticing power. And when we pulled apart all these businesses that were you know, building great noticing power, generally what they had is key signature elements, things that really helped people sort of like shortcuts to remind people about their key points of difference. And there are a lot of ways to manifest signature elements to create noticing power. We were just talking about Nike. If you think about the Air Max, you obviously are thinking about the little air pocket, right, right. on the shoe. You know, uh, let's do another. If I said to most women, high heel shoes and red bottoms, they would all think uh, Christian Louboutin. And so this idea of a product feature is a signature element. That's one way. Another way is the idea of colors. So anytime you see the Burberry checkered pattern, you know exactly that it's sort of connoting the idea of classic English elegance, and it's a key point of difference for the Burberry brand. But silhouette is also a big deal. If I said to you, beer bottle with a lime in the neck, you would know which brand that is. It would be Corona, because obviously the lime connotes their key point of difference, which is this idea of the vacation beer. Uh, so silhouette's another opportunity to create that idea of uh, great signature elements. Uh, but so is experiences. When Imagine going to Best Buy and buying one of those 
overly packaged plastic things that, you know, say you're buying a flash drive and it comes in all that, you know, high engineered plastic and you have to cut it with scissors and you still have to pull it apart. Well, Apple figured out that their products are like treasures. And so yeah. when you open up an Apple box, it's really like opening up a treasure. And most people I talk to keep their Apple boxes. And I it's really it. Exactly. Air, the AirPods I bought it, I keep there, but my wife is like, why do you keep those AirPod box? Like, I'm like, it's just nice. You know, it's just crazy. It's, it's so this idea of signature and there's signature points of view, there's signature spokespeople. You know, if I said ice bucket over your head, you'd probably think ALS challenge. If I said green box of cookies, you'd probably think Girl Scouts. So this idea of having signature elements that are shortcuts and remind people of your brand's key point of difference are powerful ways to create great noticing power. So that's the first thing, just create great noticing power. The second thing is this idea of creating staying power. How do you stick around? Well, to stick around, you have to do a couple things. One is, first and foremost, protect those signature elements. You know, the North Face, one of their key signature elements isn't the fact that they have the logo in the front. It's actually the fact that they have the logo on the back. And there was this one year on their Summit Series, because they did not codify their key signature elements, the logo came off the back and that just wasn't the North Face. That was so counter to what people thought about the North Face. So you have to first and foremost protect your signature elements because that creates a certain degree of familiarity and that's really important. But to create staying power, you need to balance what's great about the old and marry it with the new. So protect your signature elements to protect the old and then infuse the brand with new design, new innovation, and new storytelling. If you add those three elements to your signature elements, then you create longevity. And with longevity, you eventually become a standard bearer for your distinctive relevance. And that allows you to become iconic. And then the last thing is really, you know, once you have great signature elements that you're keeping fresh and new and exciting, you want to make sure as many people see them as possible. And there's just three simple ways to do that. One is obviously create awareness through marketing. The other is, you know, distribution and, and making it available for folks. And lastly is if you have a strong, iconic brand language and you know what your signature elements are, then extend it into new categories and build a family around it so that as more and more people buy into the franchise and more and more people wear it, you're actually reminding people about your key signature elements. Man, there is so much here. There is so much here. I'm going to try to recap here. But guys, even though Sun said, yeah, you, you know, he probably explained a lot of it in this. You got to go buy this book. It's it's actually a really, really good book. I don't say that very often. And I do a lot of a lot of these. So here are a few things to take away as people are listening to this in the car and stuff and may not, you know, be making notes as I am. You know, one is, what is your signature thing? in your company or yourself. Like a lot of people are into self-brand, you know, you're, you're building your brand as, as you grow. Like what is your personal signature? But if you're working in a company, you're trying to build a brand for your company, you know, it's the same exact thing. Like what is your company known for that is so unique, so distinct, so relevant, and so universal in nature that people would know exactly who you are. When they see a swoosh, they see Nike. Well, what is your swoosh? I love you kind of really honing on that point. And the other part that that I think everybody needs to really, really embrace, and I feel like we are, you know, we, we're working on it. We're struggling. We're not there yet as a company ourselves, is really going from noticing power to staying in power. I feel like there's a big chasm right there where all of a sudden things that work stop working. And you, you're like, wait a minute. And you might have just introduced too many new elements and haven't, as, as you said, protected 
something that was so good, so well worked that you just lost it. And I think there is this tension that happens as companies grow and move from being like all of a sudden known to everybody to like, oh, now we are a big company. Now we need to act differently. They, they forget who they are and what made them. And a lot of times there's this whole talk around well, what got you here won't get you there. Well, there's truth to that, but it's also important that whatever your roots are and what people love you for, you should never lose that. So how do you innovate the old in that sense? Going back to your very early point is incredibly important. So soon, I don't know if there's anything else you could say to wrap it up, but I would love, you know, as a final thought as, as an author of an iconic advantage, I feel this is a great book for both, especially for B2B people, because B2C, I feel, can teach us so much. But was there anything that you want to wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think just one simple sort of, thought. And it's this, I work with a lot of startups and a lot of them are B2B actually. And a lot of times these startups are all sort of trying to win by either being the biggest or having getting out the fastest or quite frankly, having the best technology or the best features or you know something related to the technology. And those are generally the ways that they are trying to compete. And they're usually in a two or three horse race. And I always say to them, guys, look, it isn't always the biggest or baddest or fastest mousetrap that gets the mice. It's the one with the stinkiest cheese. So (laughs) do your best to create really fragrant, stinky cheese. (laughs) I love that. That is what the podcast is going to be called, How to Be a Stinky Cheese. uh, (laughs) I I love that. Soon again, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. You know, let's, uh, I love for us to hang out more and hopefully we'll get you back on, uh, on the podcast. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.